What's up, everyone? Welcome to a special edition of Desolation Radio. It's me, your boy, Dan Evans. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, the boy himself, Dr. Christian Main. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a friend of Dan's from Postcore. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a, an immunologist and um, basically what that means is I study the immune system um, and we use the, you know, we use the immune system to understand various diseases from autoimmunity to cancer and viral infections. Um, so at the moment, I am working uh, for a large pharmaceutical company in San Diego, uh, working on vaccines, um, typically for cancer. But obviously now in this environment, we switched our attention to uh, more pressing issues. Um but mainly you kill or you you kill mice and rats. Yeah, I bash them with my rat stick. <laughs> um, I was just thinking earlier, um, like when we were, when I think one of the times you came back from the States after you'd like, you know, done PhD and moved over and stuff. And one of the boys was drunk and he actually like legitimately had a go at you because we didn't have like hover cars yet or something like that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't name it. Um, <laughs> Obviously, you know, we're, we're in the midst of this like mad um, pandemic, but I think a lot of us, well, let's be honest, 99% of us haven't got a, a clue what's going on or the science behind it. Um, so you're finally coming into your own. Um, <laughs> so if you can just explain them, mate, like, I guess, firstly, what is, what's a virus? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is like kind of a basic question that I think, massive amount of people don't actually understand um and what a virus is uh is basically is a piece of genetic material so dna which is what everyone's heard of uh is genetic material or rna is kind of a lesser known uh version of of that and um a virus is basically a piece of, of either rna or dna which is wrapped up in a shell um it can't really do much um outside of the body um the virus can only replicate itself, uh, make more copies of itself once it gets into a side, inside a host cell because it needs the machinery inside that host cell to be able to replicate itself and make more of itself. So unlike something like a bacteria or a fungus, which can grow you know, in, in dirt or outside um, of a living organism, a virus can't actually do that. So you know, if, it, if it's hanging around you know, on doorknobs and um, uh, shelf surfaces, things like that, eventually it's going to die out. The problem is, is when it's getting into humans who then come in contact with other humans and it's spread, it replicates, and it, it's basically now uh, gone uncontrolled around the world. Um, this is a bit of, well, we can either include this or not. What, like, why did, almost like, what is the evolution or why do viruses even exist? What's the point of them, if that makes sense? Do they have any other function? Do they have any other functions? No, no. I mean, their their entire function is to is to replicate themselves. I mean, if you think about like evolution and and Darwin, the, the whole goal of any sort of species really is to pass on your genes to the next generation and life continues. But really, the virus's job is to only survive and replicate. Which I mean. You know that that's kind of what all species do. So, how do viruses then affect the immune system, and how does the immune system react to a virus? Yeah. So, 
you know, immune system is designed to recognize. Generally, we speak about self from non-self. So immune system knows what is you um, and what is foreign to you um, and what is dangerous to you. So when a virus or bacteria um, or parasite or something like that gets into the body, the immune system recognizes it as foreign and dangerous and it kills it. Um, and the important thing about that is it doesn't just kill it um, to the point where the virus is, is no longer in that human or in that animal. Um, it, it creates a long lasting memory of dealing with that infection. So once, a vi once you've seen a virus once, you're generally immune to it long term. And that's the whole concept of, of why we vaccinate against people. So, you know, you, you don't get polio because you had a vaccine against polio. Your immune system knows what polio looks like so that if you ever encountered polio, you would know how to kill it. Um, yeah. In this case, right, we're dealing with a vaccine, with a, 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 a virus which no human had ever seen before until it broke out in China. That person who, who got it um, will mount an immune response against it and will clear the virus. And now, in theory, that person is now immune to uh, that virus again, the, the, the coronavirus again. Um, so what, what's happening now is it's running rampant through you know, populations that have never seen this before. Um, and so they're fighting off the initial wave of it um, with the hope that you generate this immune memory so that the next time it comes back, you'll be um, you'll be immune to it. This I mean, these are some of the strange questions that our deranged listeners have sent in. But um, I guess one of the and again, if this not an answerable question, that's fine. But like how if, if a virus, this virus is has actually come from like basically eating bats how does that i guess what, what's the science behind it how does like a new one just come out de develop um, in air if that makes sense yeah i mean i don't know the specifics about this virus in general but my idea my, my general idea is you know viruses are adapted to certain hosts right um uh, there are human viruses, there are monkey viruses, and in this case, there's obviously a bat virus, um, which they thrive in, in, in certain types of hosts. Um, and then at some point, it could be that, you know, nobody was ever eaten bats before. No, nobody was ever eaten infected bats before. And then the virus is just like, oh, here's a new host, right? I never knew I could infect humans because nobody was dumb enough to put a bat in their mouth. Like, but... Um, it could, it could also be that people were eating bats, they were eating infected bats, but that virus at that time in the ones which were getting eaten couldn't adapt to the human. Um, and maybe there's been some mutations in the meantime that allows that virus now to adapt, um, and infect, um, infect humans. It's a bit like how HIV just kind of came out of nowhere in the eighties, um, because it crossed the species barrier out of monkeys into humans. So, I mean, as a the but the the COVID nineteen uh, virus is is part of a a group of viruses called coronaviruses, correct? Yeah. So you you can classify viruses into different families. So um, coronavirus would be the family, and then within that family, there are different um, types. Uh, the most famous being SARS and MERS, um, and then COVID nineteen. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. does COVID nineteen actually? Sounds like a 
<laughs> a hip hop group. Yeah. So, so what's the difference then between? I mean, how is this this one related to to SARS? Because it's a form of SARS, is it not? SARS stands for severe acute respiratory syndrome. So really, what they're doing is naming the virus after the disease that it causes. So it it's a coronavirus which caused uh, respiratory disease. Mm. Um, they named it SARS. This this coronavirus, COVID nineteen, also causes causes a, a respiratory disease. And um, actually, aside from COVID nineteen, uh, I think the other names for this virus is like SARS CoV two, which so again, this this virus has also been named um, with that SARS prefix, knowing that it causes a severe acute respiratory syndrome. It it differs as well in in the severity of the sy- symptoms as well. So um, I think MERS had a much higher mortality rate than um, COVID nineteen does, and SARS SARS was uh, somewhere in the middle of that. And that kind of now when you're talking about virus containment, it's almost beneficial to have more severe symptoms because then you don't get this asymptomatic spread of like people wandering around in the population who have the virus um and spreading it around because they don't know they have the virus you know you know when the ebola outbreak happened nobody was leaving their house when they had ebola right um to go down the pub or do whatever it is that, that, that people were doing spreading this virus so that, that's kind of how they differ. They're, they're all coronaviruses. They are um, they cause, I think, similar um, types of disease. It's just the severity is different, um, and they were able to contain them in certain parts of the world. In terms of you know people being asymptomatic versus symptomatic, you know the mortality rate and that that differs between people and people are saying it's based on like viral load or exposure to it. Can you tell us anything about? You know how how do, how some people are asymptomatic and they have it but they're fine and and some people yeah I mean my guess is like you know I don't think anybody knows this for sure but obviously the people dying from it have the underlying health conditions um, you know people without in the main in the main yeah without functioning immune responses um, or poor immune responses obviously can't contain the virus and it's spreading rapidly. Um, replicating rapidly throughout their lungs and it's it's causing all the lung issues and then if you have underlying health issues with that you know like heart heart disease um, and other respiratory syndromes then that can lead to death um, in terms of people then who are younger and more healthy maybe you have it but your immune system is good at containing it so um, you know you can wander around the immune system's not going to kill it instantly it's still going to be a period of time it's like a it's almost like a fight, you know, it's a fight. There's a balance between is the immune system going to win? Is the virus going to win? And at some point, there's probably this equilibrium between them um, until the immune system wins out. And during that time, because the virus is in the lungs, people are going around coughing. They're coughing out these, um, you know, virus uh, particles into the air and, and um, other people are catching them. So, you know, and then again, it could come down to stuff like viral load. So, Imagine like the doctors and nurses, even though they could be healthy, um, although severely stressed in this situation, their immune system is probably compromised because of the fact that they work in insanely long shifts. Mm-hmm. They're coming into contact with way more virus than, you know, your average person who's picking this up in the pub or the supermarket. Um, like so, you know, dose of virus does matter. Um, the more virus you have, the more head start it can get and the and then the more the immune system has to try and catch up and kill it. So I guess 
the idea that it's the fact it's asymptomatic is worse because people are going to be more blasé about it. Whereas if people were like bedridden straight away, then obviously they wouldn't be going around passing it on. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't. Can you imagine like uh, whoever the president, I think it was Obama at the time, coming out and saying Ebola is just like the flu? He, <laughs> he couldn't say that, right? Because people have eyes and they're like, no, this guy's this guy has worse than the flu, right? But yeah, yeah, you know. Um, now you know you have leaders like Bolsonaro and and Trump and and Boris Johnson coming out and saying, um, you know, this is like the flu because okay, yeah, it's a lung disease. It is kind of mild in some patients and it does cause death in other patients. And so it does mirror what a flu infection looks like from season to season, but it's it's not. Um, and then and there was enough kind of ambiguity over like what it is. Uh, because it wasn't so obviously deadly like like Ebola is um, for politicians to spin it to fit their own narratives, right? There's a balance yeah. here between what scientists are saying, what economists are saying, and what people who are seeking re-election are trying to say. So this, while we're on it, the idea of a herd immunity is insane, isn't it? Oh, no, I mean the, the the idea of herd immunity is a is is the basis of of vaccination really um the idea of using herd immunity um to to combat this is it's not insane from a scientific standpoint but it's an insane from a um social standpoint essentially what you're saying is yes you will get through this quicker the peak is the peak is shorter in in terms of duration of time this this disease will be over quicker but we're going to sacrifice yeah x million people to do it um herd immunity is not a bad thing herd immunity is um you know that's why if you think about measles you know you you can eradicate measles from the population um means you don't have to vaccinate everyone against measles they only need to vaccinate a certain percentage of the population against measles which means that you know kids under the age of one who can't be vaccinated are still protected against it and, and adults over the age of 80 or whatever with compromised immune systems who also can't get vaccinated against it will also be protected against it. But herd immunity differs from virus to virus, right? Um, There's a certain percentage of the population that you need for to get herd immunity to measles compared to polio compared to, uh, you know, COVID-19. But nobody knows what that percentage would be for COVID-19. Yeah, so it's a shot in the dark. And also, and don't you need, you know, don't and don't you need a vaccine for, for herd immunity no you don't you don't need a vaccine for herd immunity you can allow it to just run rampant through the population um but if you want to if you want to implement herd immunity in a regulated way to minimize deaths you do it with a vaccine so you'd have to like in theory shut everyone down now while and basically until a vaccine is found yeah and that's what people are doing right well, that's that's <laughs> the strategy which most normal countries came up with was shut everything down, stop the wild spread of the virus and buy some time until we can, one, create a therapy, maybe like not even a vaccine Two, create vaccine for long term protection or three. So we can test people who have already had the disease to show that they are now immune and let them go back out into the population. For what it's worth, I mean, I'm fairly sure that the herd immunity is is still in effect in the UK. Um, I, I forgot to ask you earlier. I mean, you're speaking from lockdown. 
in San Diego. What's um what's the picture over in America? Yeah, so um it really differs on a state to state basis because you know the federal model of this this country allows like governors to shut down and implement their own rules um, in each of the states differently and and um, you know implement their own systems, which is nice if you live in a state where it takes it seriously, like I do in California. They shut down. I think the Bay Area of California was the first area to shut down in this country, and then about a week after that, which is now about three weeks ago. Um, the governor of California shut down um, California, which means that um, you you don't go to work um, unless you're an essential worker. Um, you kind of limit your uh, you, you limit your journeys outside. You, you they shut down the um, parks and the beaches. Um, so now there's like cops or people stand in there um, shutting down all the car parks to those areas, so you can't go out. Um, but in general, nobody's really enforcing this lockdown. Um, you know, I could go out any number of times during the day and, and no cops are like going to ticket you or yeah. anything. Um, but you've been on lockdown for a lot in California, the longer than, far longer than the UK has. Um, um, yeah, so we've been locked down. I don't know how long the UK has been locked down, but I've, I've been in the house for about three weeks now. Well, that's um, not really lockdown, I'd say the UK. It's just like a Sunday. I mean, there's more traffic <laughs> on the road. I mean, people have packed into the supermarkets. Um, which I mean, yeah, people still go to the supermarkets. Yeah, it's, it's funny actually. Some supermarkets are like they limit the number of people in and out, so it's like one in, one out, yeah. and then outside of the supermarket, you have people queuing up in with six foot gaps in between them, which yeah, is a sensible thing to do. Maybe um, now they're all wearing masks because um, yesterday they implemented uh, an idea where everybody now has to use masks outside, um, whereas right like literally next door in the next supermarket there's no line and they're just letting it be a free-for-all yeah i mean this is the yeah the the i mean i want to get onto masks and the idea of you know you said about the virus spreading um well there's there's viral sort of spreading where you're sneezing you know and the, the droplets uh you know uh, contain viral particles that's falling on surfaces or it's going in people's faces or whatever um and then they get in the virus from that there's also a concept that and I'm not sure if it applies to COVID-19, but it definitely applies to other viral infections, is that even once you've cleared it and your symptoms have gone, you could still be shedding um, kind of residual virus, um, which could be an issue. Um, and so, I don't think anybody really understands that yet. And so in terms of the transmission then, I mean, we're talking through, you know, surf, what, surfaces, just like touch, like, like shaking someone's hand? Yeah, so, um, you know, the obvious way is if, if you sneeze or cough, yeah. or droplets of water come out of your out of your nose and your mouth, and and that contains the virus, and and that's because the virus is is residing in your lungs. Um, obviously, somebody has to be near you for that to affect them, and then it has to go into their nose or mouth and into yeah, their lungs yeah. to cause the infection. So the other way that it happens is you sneeze on your hand, let's say. Yeah. Um, you touch a surface, somebody else touches that surface and then puts their hand in their mouth because the virus, although the virus can't replicate outside of um, outside of the human, um, it, the, the virus can still survive for a limited amount of time on certain surfaces. I saw some mm -hmm. study last week, which they actually looked at um, COVID-19 length of survival on certain surfaces. And I think on plastic, it was up to um, it was only 100% gone after 72 hours. 
um, and then stainless steel was a different amount of time and um, cardboard was a, um, a different amount of time as well. So depending on the surfaces, um, if, if these aren't being wiped down uh, with alcohol or bleach or yeah. soap, um, you know, people are picking this up from just, you know, touching an infected surface and then touching their face. So, I mean, bearing this in mind, I mean, most people have been told, like, especially the UK, the idea that masks are ridiculous. And like, you know, but from that, I w it would seem that masks are kind of useful. Yeah. Um, so they just rolled out this plan um, in America saying that people in essential businesses have to be wearing masks. Um, and the line is the mask is not going to is not 100 percent going to protect you. But if you're infected yeah. and you sneeze, at least you're kind of yeah, limiting yeah. the amount that's coming out and, and spreading. So, you know, it's maybe it's not 100 percent, but at least it's something. Yeah, I don't I mean, I think it's more this like people like haha, like you look like a tit wearing a mask. But it's like it would just seem from a very basic point of view, like you're not it's going to stop you spreading it on. But also yeah, look at like um, look at the Asian countries, right? Like how many times have you seen like Asian people? I've always seen masks. like they they wear masks, right? When they're sick, they wear masks because they're, yeah. they're mindful of spreading their disease elsewhere. Yeah. It's not, um, because, yeah. and we're and just so, like, like an idiot, and it's like, yeah, but I'm I'm trying not to give people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in the countries like South Korea, China, Japan, especially South Korea and Japan, which are not like communist, um, like dictatorships where they can sort of, you know, rule with an iron fist, they still have to have some Good sort country. of China. Yeah, the good. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, South Korea is not a, a dictatorship. I, you know, they may have implemented like some tracking, sort of uh, invasive tracking um, technology, which sort of goes against certain civil civil liberties. But at the same time, it's a population which it seems to be mindful of others in terms of when they're sick, they wear masks. When they're sick, they stay in the house. They don't go to work. Like how many times have you been in an office and some guy next to you is like oh, coughing and spluttering? So yeah, that's that's just normal in the Western world. It's yeah, it's kind of this like brutal. I mean, I don't you know, it's like a push pull factor. I mean, I think people are one people are terrified. So they you know, like obviously in, in the in the UK in America, most neoliberal countries, you know, people are going to get you know screwed basically by their jobs if they don't come in or whatever. They feel under pressure to come in even when they're sick. And then the other weird element is yeah, this like trying to explain to people the concept of like we you know, it's not about you, <laughs> yeah. um, which is obviously quite hard to, uh, for a lot of people to fathom. Um, just, okay, so we're going to move on a bit, I guess, to, because you, you mentioned about tracking and tracing in South Korea and testing. There's a lot of talk in the UK now about, you know, the two types of tests. You know, one is, I think it's called, like, well, the, the antigen test, which is the swab test that you stick up your nose. Um I think that they were doing in drive-throughs in Wales until like in South Korea until they just like stopped doing them after like yeah. a few days. They're like, no, I don't want to do this. Um, and then they apparently reduced them, took them into hospitals to focus on NHS workers. Now they're apparently only doing 200 NHS workers a day. Um, and then if, if there's a lot of talk now about the antibody test, which is a blood blood test. What are the differences between these two tests? Yeah. So, at the simple level, the 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 virus test, let's call it the antigen test, uh, which is the test that everyone's heard about, the the nasal swab. Um, what you're doing there is you're just looking for um, you take a swab at the back of the um, back of the nose. You're then um, 
you extract out the uh, genetic material from the end of that swab, and then you look to see whether it contains any viral genetic material. Um, and that will tell you whether you have the virus or not at that particular moment in time, right? It won't tell you if you've had the virus in the past. Um, the, uh, on the other hand, the antibody test is a blood test, and that will tell you whether you have antibodies against the virus. So in the normal course of the immune system, um, a, a immune response against the virus, you'll generate antibodies, which are these little proteins, they're kind of, they're Y-shaped, you've probably seen them on TV. Um, and what they do show. is they, what's that? Got their own show. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and what they do is um, they, they bind to the virus and they block it, um, or they mark it for um, destruction by other immune cells. So that is, is sort of a lingering, um, and that's what, that's what gives you the long-term immunity, right? Those antibodies will hang around in your bloodstream for a certain amount of time um, in case any more virus comes back and it binds to that and it gets rid of that virus. So what the antibody test is, is telling you is if somebody has had the virus um, and is now um, presumably immune to that virus. So what they did or what most countries will do is they'll track the virus, they'll track who is infected with the virus using the nasal swab test. And the idea being that if you know who's, who's infected, you keep them quarantined or you tell them to go home and, and not go out. Um, and then you ask, try and like establish who they've come in contact with over the last two weeks um, to try and get them in. And in a perfect world, you'd have so many tests and so much capacity to do this testing that you just test every one of those contacts, figure out who who had the virus or who has the virus right now, and then you quarantine them and then you you keep tracking. So it's like, it's like you know, you, you, you yeah, find yeah. someone with the virus, you just keep tracking throughout the population until you get a handle on who has it and you lock those people down. Because it's, I think if I'm, if I'm right, like South Korea didn't actually institute a nationwide um, shelter in place policy like other countries have done. They just had track and test. Um, yeah, and they were able to conduct so many tests um, and quarantine the, the people at risk. Um, and the people they came into contact with that they managed to to get a handle on it. And so the, the, the issue that bigger countries are having now is, one, they either don't have enough of the tests, um, and I think Britain's running into that problem because I don't know if any British companies actually make the tests, so they're trying to get them from, like, Roche, which is a Swiss company, um, whereas in America... Oh, the, the antigen test or the antibodies, no. Uh, antigen test. This is a standard virus nasal swab test. Right? But, but surely this is an easy. I mean, there was an article and a letter in the Times and said it was a really basic, um, a really basic wow. test that you know. But surely and and they're like unis and 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 other sort of people you know not private companies do. So why haven't they got these basic things? We just need swabs. Okay, so you need more than just a sw you need a swab, which is is going to take the um, take mm. the sample. And that's going to be from a nurse or a technician in one of those drive-throughs or in a hospital. Yeah. You know, it, that's easy to make. The second thing you're going to need is a testing kit. And that's where you need to get, uh, that's where you need to buy from like a diagnostics company or a pharmaceutical company, one of which being Roche, right? So obviously they can only make so many or, yeah, yeah. you know, countries can only buy so many because we're still like, you still have to pay for these tests. Um, and then the third aspect is once you've done the test, so once you've done the swab and you have your kit, 
you now need somebody to actually do the kit um, and go through the do the experiment and figure out whether this person is positive or negative. Mm. Um, and that's the issue they're sort of running into in California. There is there's enough swabs, there's enough tests, but there's not enough people to actually um, do the do the actual um, experiment. And yeah. so right now, if you look at California's numbers, every single day, that you know the they'll say there are sixty thousand tests still pending. And like right, yeah. the, every day, the number of tests which were conducted goes up, but the number of tests pending is still high. So there's a huge, you know, the majority of these tests are actually not actually getting processed. Um, and that's in a state where yeah. we have huge biotechnology hubs in San Francisco, yeah. uh, Los Angeles and um, San Diego, where you can run these in either private companies or in um public universities um, because the actual like what you're saying that the, the actual none of this is is complicated um, swabbing is not complicated um, making the test for these companies is not complicated and carrying out the test is not complicated it's simply a number of how many hands do we have in the lab and how many um, yeah how many people can do this and what is the capacity per day to do this I mean I think I read an article in the um an american paper but it, and it said like undergrads are being are doing yeah i, I think like in, in san diego they, we have a, a university or university of california san diego and that's part of the state university system and um they would yeah they were drafting in labs um there and and um to run these tests and presumably this is a mixture of you know these people have never run COVID 19 tests before but they have run pcrs which is is the name of of the technique which is which is in this test um and it's standard i mean it's they all have pcr machines they're they're using the test kits that they get from roche or whoever and they're just um performing the test and and this can be done by somebody who's had 20 years worth of lab experience compared to six months of lab experience it's not difficult to do so i mean drawing i guess you know you know been obviously working for a pharmaceutical company and um like but like why for example if companies like roche got a monopoly on like kits is it not possible to you know it sounds naive but is it not possible for like for example a government to just go right we're going to produce hundreds of thousands of these test kits like tomorrow yeah actually university system so um you know initially in america the response was from the CDC, which is a government agency, it's the Centers of Disease Control. They they manage these pandemics and outbreaks. The the initial response from them was, nobody's allowed to use any test except the one that we've just made, yeah. um, and we'll send it to you. And then it turns out that their test was pretty shit and it didn't work. And basically, oh. it, it, it was that the fifty fifty. Um, I can't remember what you mean fifty fifty success rate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the success rate was, but it was widely panned and basically lost everyone a, a load of time. And then the government said, OK, private companies, you do what you want to do. Make your own tests. So, um, you know, this is companies don't have a monopoly on this. Is If you're capable of making a test, you can make one. Um, and as long as the FDA, uh, which is the uh, Food and Drug yeah. Administration, they're the people who say whether this is OK to go. As long as they validate it and say, you know, you this is this is good, this is reproducible, you can do it. But then it comes to 
a, a question of infrastructure, right? Large pharmaceutical companies are designed or set up to make massive amounts of test kits in general outside of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is what they do. They just make reagent kits constantly um, and they have done for years. So they have these huge manufacturing facilities and production lines so they can ramp up the production quickly. So that's why um, these companies are sort of dominating the market. But we're going again into like crony capitalism, you know, territory. And obviously this is like a, you know, a left wing podcast, but like the UK's decision to rely exclusively on like Roche, for example, when you've got, as far as I'm aware, a good like public sector science, you know, or rather like university sector science in the UK and presumably is pretty good. Um, and presumably there are like domestic um, private sector companies that also have like the capacity to make them. Um and as far as I'm aware, like I've read about, you know, other companies like big pharma com- companies like across the world, basically just being like pressed into service. Whereas the UK seems to be have been stuck in like a bidding war um, by a yeah. price gouging company um, for like like a couple a couple of weeks, maybe like nearly a month. Um, you know, so that's that seems to me like clearly a political decision because there's. I don't it, like you know from from your perspective as a you know like a scientist you know for these companies presumably if a company like a government says like can you make tomorrow like you know we need like million kits or something they would do it you know um or they would have to do it in other countries um so the delay yeah. in testing in the UK I mean like let's let's be honest like the U, it seemed like people like obviously British people are parochial and they think they're you know unique and special and they think americans are like stupid but like america has been testing for a while and it has at least been trying to roll out test kits from what i can understand whereas the uk like haven't barely been testing at all like in a in a relative um and yeah to not still have a an organized like scaled response well like oh yeah, yeah i see what you mean like you're in a situation where the UK is 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 a customer, um, yeah. whereas yeah, the US, like... because it has the US, because there are so many pharmaceutical companies and diagnostic companies here, you can pressure them almost, right? You don't have to go as far as like there's a there's a wartime defense act that that Trump yeah, has yeah. invoked, um, and where you could actually say to these companies, you yeah, will make this, um, and you'll do it now. Um, it's not to that extent, right? You don't. You know, pharmaceutical companies, if you think about it, they're, they're happy to, I'm pretty sure they're happy to ramp up production of these kits because they know they have a buyer at the end of the day yeah, who's going to who's gonna buy it for them. They're going to make a, a shit ton of money off this and they're going to, um, and it's good, good PR, well. right? Yeah, it's, it's, and you see that, you'll see that everywhere. You'll see c- companies coming out with, you know, our, te- our test kit is, you know, yeah, shorter yeah. time period than our, this test kit. You see it in the vaccine race as well like the big companies are, are, are going out and they're, they're saying we're going to make our vaccines and yeah they, they have experience doing this but the other thing you'll see is you'll see these small biotech companies who have no experience with infectious disease or uh, vaccines in general coming out and saying you know what we're going to make a vaccine as well because they'll then get a nice pr kick off yeah, that yeah. maybe some maybe some uh, maybe their stock price goes up and so you will see a lot of this um sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of vulture yeah. capitalism, I suppose. Well, what's the, what's the, I mean, what, 
from you know what is the farm farmer sort of like science infrastructure like in the uk on a relative in a relative sense you know like is it strong say compared to like california or is you know like what's the what are the research labs like yeah i just don't know how many diagnostic companies there are to make these test kits in the uk but and so could. as soon as you're as soon as you're relying on a company outside of your borders you don't really have much leverage with them do you no and um but I mean, in theory, there's nothing to stop like the government, you know, mass manufacturing test kits rather than just asking. Well, yeah, there would be, there would be, right? You can, you can design. Yeah, you know, public labs in the UK could design a kit. Um, yeah. And like the, but the thing is, how do you manufacture that on a scale that's needed for, to cover the entire need of Britain? And for right. that, you you can't, you know, the government doesn't have large production. Uh, facilities to make reagent kits not um, in the same way with, as like for example the ventilator drive yeah well the ventilator drive is repurposing um yeah, assembly lines yeah. to put together ventilators instead of cars um in the case of reagents you need to produce um you know the chemicals which are needed you need to get them um dilute them down to the right concentrations put them in little vials yeah, yeah. put them in a box make sure that everything is quality controlled and there's no contamination and make sure that it's reproducible and that is i think more complicated than yeah. telling dyson to turn its vacuums on backwards or whatever <laughs> yeah um so yeah so the the other thing i mean obviously there's a lot of i mean i've probably been stoking it myself but you know the, the stuff about big farmer and whatever but like is there anything you know is there any things about like do people own is there like any intellectual property stuff? Well, these companies making the vaccines, they will own the vaccine. Um, and, you know, at, I'm pretty sure there's this huge pressure for either the, the, the either the pharmaceutical company to give this out for free and yeah. the cost themselves or there's pressure on the government to pay for it for yeah. everybody. Um, <laughs> I don't think you're going to patent it because. Yeah, um, you'd be crucified, wouldn't you? what they're doing is using their own proprietary technology to make the vaccine because not every vaccine is the same. Uh, so okay, the one, yeah. the one that was being made by Johnson and Johnson is different from the one being made by Merck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's different from the one being made by GlaxoSmithKline. So the, the, the intellectual property is unique to those com companies for the technology of the vaccine, not for the uh, okay. target of the vaccine. Pete, do you want to talk anything about PPE? I mean like why for example is it like uk are just saying like oh you just wear a gown and like korea and china are like and italy are doing like hamzat hazmat suits and stuff like that um yeah i mean scientifically speaking you need to be wearing all of this pp you need gowns caps masks face masks you need um gloves you need everything and it needs to be changed out regularly right so there's there are scientific recommendations and then there are political ones economic and political recommendations and you know if if this kind of if, you know if these responses were being run 100 percent by scientists things would probably look a, diff a lot different to now they're being run by politicians yeah and i mean the um and the pp guidance changes every day in like the welsh nhs and the british nhs the guidance is being designed is being like sort of uh governed by like rationing um and like, and because they keep saying like it's really important that you know not everyone has to wear it, um, and obviously got a situation where people who are working in like porters or um, secretaries and 
everyone else in hospital aren't like getting any PPE, even though they're and because they're not systematically testing all inpatients, hospitals become like vectors of infection. Um, I don't know, it's just nuts. And Vaughan Gethin has just got up there routinely and just said, nah, that's, that's, we've got loads, like, uh, don't worry about it. Um, got some questions here from listeners. I wonder if you can go through me. Um, people are wondering or scared about, um, okay, well, it, I guess this is a, an epidemiology or whatever question about, like, flattening the curve. People are, and like you talk about quarantining and things like this, people are worried and, and people who are advocating this or a crude version of like what they think herd immunity is um, are saying, well, you know, in China, they're going to have, a, in South Korea, they're going to have a problem when they stop the lockdown. But that, again, is assuming that people are going to stop the lockdown before there's a vaccine, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking, you know, thinking about it, I was discussing this earlier and um Obviously, you have two situations, right? You can either let it run rampant through the population, create the herd immunity so that everybody's had it, a shit ton of people will die, and, but everything goes back to normal afterwards because you're all, the, the, the survivors are now immune. <clears throat> On the other hand, you flatten the curve, which means that you, um, yeah, like... you don't overwhelm the health systems. Um, you don't kill a lot of people. But the problem is, how long does it last and what does it look like after? And and really, you know, if we were to, let's say we get over the peak um, and things start to go down and then everybody is let out back into the world. Now, there's still going to be some virus out there, right? There's, you, you can't clean every surface. You could probably leave it a certain length of time until a virus dies off naturally um, on these surfaces. But there's probably still some patients out there who, because the testing isn't as uh, you know broad as it should be there could be those patients that go out start a little cluster again um, and you get infection like ideally then because you would have an excess of tests in that situation because you passed the the bulk of the the um, of the pandemic you should have so much excess tests that you would then go and track and trace the contacts with that person and manage this on a much smaller scale to to what's being done now but the other thing would be you wait until there's some sort of um, uh, you wait until there's some sort of therapy. So that will come in the form of either um, a therapy which directly targets the virus and kills it, which would be, would be called like antiviral drugs, um, which will come soonest. Um, and then the long lasting protection you will get from vaccines, which are projected to um, well, they wouldn't even enter clinical trials really in, in um, one of them has, has entered a clinical trial already uh, by a company called Moderna, um, and that's going into healthy pa patients. Um, but the bulk of these are not really going to enter the clinic until probably summer, early autumn. And then you're going to have to wait probably a year until these are massively um, available for the broad population. So. You know, there is realistically going to be a time when the lockdown ends without everybody being vaccinated. And what does that look like? Um, and that's sort of why I can see, you know, from the UK government's view now is we'll test everybody for antibodies to see who's immune to it. And we'll give them the immunity passports or whatever, and they can go back to work. Um, you know, in theory, yeah, if you if you start letting people out of quarantine, who are immune to the virus that should limit the spread but um 
yeah, I, I don't think anybody really can accurately model this um, if, 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 at the if, moment. You know, the antibody test, and this is another one, I mean, I, I don't know, because, I mean, if, unless you've worked on COVID-19, it's probably impossible to answer. But, um, you know, if someone's got an antibody test or they're immune to it, does that mean, I mean, could they still be uh, carrying the virus or no? Um, so they could still, obviously, the virus could still enter um, that person it could go in their lungs, might replicate a little bit, but in general, that immune response is going to attack it much quicker than it did the first time around. So that's I the guess, idea of. But, but the worry would be, I guess, the question is, could those people who have been given an immunity passport like still shed and infect other people? I don't think that is known until you start studying these people. So for that, you're going to need a population of patients who've recovered from this, and then monitor. Yeah. how much virus is is being shed from them over a period of time and then even then you can't know what happens to them when they get reinfected um yeah. obviously for them they should be able to kill it kill it again quite easily but there's they they could obviously act as some sort of carrier for a certain limited period of time and i don't know if anybody can understand that um or whether there's even experiments planned to try and try and look for that I mean, for me, the, the 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 narrative in the UK at the moment about uh, antibody testing, presumably this is because they just want the economy to go back straight away, and they they, they this they're obviously going to be going on about the antibody test because it's they can just get an army of people right, you're fine, you're fine, off you go back to work, rather than face an economic uh, slump. Um, that would yeah, be if you, you were it goes back again, like if you. If you're a scientist and you were running this response, what would you do? You'd probably quarantine everyone, you test everyone, see who has it, see who doesn't, and then hang around, wait for some sort of therapy um, or better still a vaccine before then you let people go back to life as normal. But this is not this is not how people think who are running the country. At the same time, you've got stock markets crashing, people losing their jobs, people can't pay rent, can't pay mortgages. So unless you're willing to like implement huge economic safety nets for for people yeah it's a choice it's a choice between letting people die and it's a choice between letting people die and i guess letting capitalism die really that's i mean that's the yeah that's the that's the real choice um the other question people have had uh is it possible that the virus is is mutated people have asked that um yeah so that's always a concern like so this is um you know I think this is important in vaccine science, right? Why do we have a vaccine for measles when we don't have a vaccine for HIV? Mm. Um, and we, we, we have limited success with flu vaccines from season to season. And that's a concept that certain viruses mutate at different rates to other viruses to escape the immune system. So it's just like any, um, uh, it's, it's like Darwin's theory of evolution, right? You, the strongest will survive. So you need to adapt and change um, in order to survive. And what the, what certain viruses can do, which are more fit than others, is mutate faster so they can avoid um, immune uh, recognition and, and clearance. And that's something like HIV um, as opposed to, to another virus, which would mutate less. So I think like there are projects where people have been sequencing these viruses um, sequencing the uh, the genetic material in the viruses to try and 
um, to address that fact, are these viruses mutating at the same rate as the, as the flu virus would? And, and I think the answer so far is no, it doesn't mutate to the same extent, uh, which is good news. And the other thing is to understand where certain outbreaks happen. So in the data, you can see that you can track back, um, for example, the outbreak, the virus is currently circulating in Southern California, originated in, um, I'm just making this up, but it, it originated in Iran, for example. And yeah. that's different to the virus which is circulating in New York, which originated in from Europe. Um, so there, this knowledge is out there. People are actively sequencing patients with um, with the virus and they're tracking these changes over time. And I think to this point, nobody, at least in the vaccine field, is worried about it mutating too much so that the vaccine um, uh, would would be redundant after uh, would be ineffective after a short period of time. I think it isn't mutating as much as flu is. So why? I mean, I guess why not just why does flu mutate, but why people have asked it is it seasonal? I think the reason why certain infections are seasonal could be may not be a, an effect of the virus itself. It could be an effect on the immune system, right? So in the winter, yeah. cold, yeah. you're you don't have as much sunlight, you're kind of maybe you're stressed, maybe you're depressed, your immune system is weaker, um, and viruses can exploit that. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to be the case with um, with this. But I, although I did see, you know, there is some like limited data out there which showed that in hot, humid areas of Southeast Asia, the infection rates were lower um, than in other areas of Asia, which were not as hot and humid. Um, so I'm not sure whether that has anything to do with the length of time the virus can survive outside of the body or the length of time that the droplets, you know, the aerosols created when somebody sneezes, uh, how long they stick around in the air. Okay, a few more questions from listeners. Um, uh, one, can you catch it from uh, Wankin? Yes. Um, <laughs> what? Why, because of, the, because of just shedding in general? I don't know. Maybe you get maybe somebody wanks you off who has COVID nineteen. So just just wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands. Um, Probably when, don't use bleach. Might, yeah. When can I go stink. to the pub again? Is the other one? Um, never. That pub's probably gone out of business anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that's it, mate. Um, I won't repeat some of the other disgusting questions of via listeners. Degenerate that's, listeners. Yeah. Um, but no, a nice one. Um, a very good primer and explainer for those of us who aren't uh, intelligent um, or have a grasp on science. Um, okay, Dr. <clears throat> Christian Main, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, May any shout outs or beefs? Uh, do a shout out to my kids, uh, Dylan and Kai. Yes, uh, shout out to the boy Bernie. Yeah. Um, beef with Joe Biden's melting brain. <laughs> Um, yeah. And the clowns that keep wanting him to. Is he go still? On TV. Is he still doing appearances? Oh, it's 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 a car crash every time he's on TV. Is he's he's just senile. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Like it's yeah. like we've gone, we've gone through like Black Mirror territory, like way. But Bernie's like leading like a one-man fight against the Trump's coronavirus strategy. And he's just like staying in the fight and just trying to help everyone. Yeah, he's he switched. I think now his uh, contribution raising campaign away from his campaign is away from his political campaign. And now, when you donate, portions of that get 
actually, I think all of it just gets split up and goes to um, goes to charities involved in coronavirus or you know first responders, whatever. Um, so up. yeah, I mean, he's 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 the only one with a competent strategy. I think, you know, th- this week when what was it 10 million people now in the U.S. are unemployed, and where health insurance is tied to your job, you know. <laughs> Like Bernie's saying, we need a we need a, nat- a national health service. Joe Biden's still insisting that that will will not solve anything. <laughs> um, and actually, Trump today even came out with the fact that maybe they should extend government um, health health insurance to uh, to people who are unemployed. And and so now Biden's also getting outflanked on his left by Trump, which is nice. Listen, thanks for uh, I won't tag you in your Twitter because people won't. Um believe you're a scientist or uh because uh just uh all the stuff you get up to on there but um nice one and um it's at drill <laughs> and uh we'll uh yeah we'll we'll catch up soon and you'll be our correspondent nice for me it only takes one germ d oh jesus of course how anybody thinks that a germ could survive a scalding hot pizza is beyond me <laughs> Oh, Dennis, you don't look good. Trust me, D. If I found myself getting sick, I would simply say, Shut the speed down! Ah! This is bullshit! This is bullshit! I feel fine! You should stand over there, because I think I'm really getting the flu. Oh, I, I'm sick as a dog already. Oh, well, if you guys are getting sick, then stay away from me. Holy shit, dude. I think we need to call 911 for you. Hey, should we work on our harmonies? Seriously, dude? I think we need to get you to a hospital. Does that sound like a man who needs to be in a hospital? Yeah, dude.